How many how many people saw the the small independent? It was kind of a grassroots thing. How many people saw the um uh the the Star Wars over over December Christmas time? I maybe you guys didn't even hear about it because it's such a uh it doesn't really have a following. Um, but I I am a casual or I was a casual follower of, of the Star Wars. You can tell by the way I call it the Star Wars. It's just funnier that way. Somehow I missed the Star Wars train as a kid. Every everybody from my generation, especially every guy that I meet, most of them, good 90%, gaga for Star Wars. You know, the first, you know, episode four, five, and six, you know, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, got that out of order. But, you know, for me, I just never really got into it. I was really into Transformers and G.I. Joes and Thundercats. I was really into that stuff. But Star Wars just kind of escaped me. I didn't really have a big sci-fi, you know, uh, desire. I didn't really care about spaceships and, you know, things like that. I like robots that turned into cars, things like that. Um... Then the new the, the 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 prequels came out in the late 90s and I tried to get into that but apparently those movies are horrible so you can't really get into them and I was like whatever and then part 7 just came out recently right biggest movie of all time and all that business went to go see it it was so incredible so I thought it was so good and apparently a lot of other people did too and when that happened and I don't want to spoil anything from that movie but Jar Jar Binks makes a return I learned about the culture of Star Wars. You go online because there are a lot of cliffhangers in, in the movie. So you start doing research. And what I found really quickly was that there's this whole other life culture that exists seemingly under our noses right in front of us, especially online. You go online and there are people with theories People who have drawn their own spaceships and have their own fan fiction written and, and they're just so invested and, and, and they argue but they're part of the same sort of thing so there's this mutual respect. And I, I got sucked into that. I thought, man, that's so cool. Like you hear people's theories about what happened here, what happened there, and then you have the, the, the stuff that was written outside of the movies and the cartoons and the toys. And it's just this big intricate web that really transcends not just our country but the whole world. We we met up with some friends in Florida. They 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 are part of something called cosplay or cosplay. I don't even sure how to pronounce it. But they dress up like characters. And when we went to Florida a couple years ago, uh, our friend of ours uh, who dresses up like a stormtrooper, the the white suit guys, uh, had a surprise for Ethan and had all these people show up dressed up in their garb. And this isn't just like, oh, I took a t-shirt and wrote Stormtrooper. They, these were costumes that cost thousands of dollars. It looked just like they walked out of the movie. And then from the back came Darth Vader. And he was huge. Whoever this guy was, I, this is the only time I ever met him, he was like six foot nine. And just this, it just you thought Darth Vader was in your presence. And he, and, he, and he pulled out a lightsaber and gave it to Ethan, and then they dueled. It was really cool, and I got some great pictures. And Ethan, I think, really thought it was Darth Vader for a while, so he was fighting for his life. It was amazing. He was like, I gotta protect my family. The Dark Lord is here to take me. And uh, you can like just see it in his face, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take. And you know, Darth Vader lost. It was really cool. Um, and so I bring that all up because I, I marvel at how how humans can collectively come together over something as simple as a movie. And for those involved in that, let's say, you know, Star Wars is not just simply a movie. I get that. But this culture, this community that's been built up all around it, 
is is so big and strong and 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 transcends genres and uh transcends uh you know races and creeds you know it's it's not just one uh particular person or type of person it's it's everybody I thought, that's just really cool How, what a what a great testimony to um the ability of people to come together under one banner and so you, you can start to see where I'm starting to spiritualize this a little bit or, or, or bring us back around to the gospel. In the book of Colossians, Paul's going to talk about this for just a moment. And I just want to preface everything with this. As beautiful as that might be, this whole culture of Star Wars, and it's not all good. I mean, everything has its, its bad aspects to it. Um, but this is all in the natural. There's no seemingly no Holy Spirit involvement. And so today we're going to talk about being knit together, and it should look different than the rest of the world. Our community, our culture, our being bonded with somebody else should be different because Jesus is involved. If Jesus were not involved, it would look like every other organization, right? It would look like every other club, every other guild. It would look like every. It would just be like a different form of the same thing. But we have Jesus. We are called as the body of Christ, to have him as our head, it should be different. It should look different and feel different. It should last longer. It should be better. And I don't mean in a judgmental way like, oh, we're better than you. But there should be something here that defines us that these other groups cannot even hope to attain because Jesus is involved. And unless Jesus is involved in their club, organization, church, whatever you call it, um, we should stand out in that way. You know, as you read through the book of Acts, you read about a young man named Stephen. And he was a deacon in the church, and he, he was one of the ones that was chosen to serve in place of the apostles so the apostles could keep uh, studying and preaching and teaching and traveling. Stephen was a guy who, who said, you know, I want to help the church. I want to serve the widows, and I want to serve the orphans, and I want to do whatever I can. And he stands up before the people one day and preaches a sermon shortly before he's stoned to death and right before life leaves him he says forgive them they don't know what they're doing see that's to me that stands out as being different than the way the rest of the world would have responded if they even gotten to that point the last thing they'd want to do is forgive the people who are taking their lives most people would fight back if you read about um the Christians that were fed to lions in, 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 in the Roman Colosseums, you know, many times what you find is not people running away or screaming. You literally found people who simply just put their, hand, their lives in the hand of the Lord and just took whatever was about to happen. And we would say, no, God can deliver them, and absolutely he could have. But God chose to be glorified that way rather than the way that we think is most glorifying. And so now we have a church 2,000 years later with a great testimony as to um, – the, the fortitude that Christ gives you as he fills your life. In Colossians chapter 2, and we've gone through nine parts. This is part 10. Um, part 10 kicks off chapter 2, and this is what Paul says in chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom uh, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
for though i am absent in body yet i am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in christ let's pray jesus your word is good you are not in need of an editor you are not in need of a publicist you are not in need of somebody who can translate your word your word tells us to simply declare the gospel and that's what we aim to do today holy spirit we are praying that you would penetrate the hearts of your people in a way that my simple words just simply cannot and so i pray for this miracle in the name of jesus amen ministry is a weird word ministry usually in your mind and i can remember being the same of this same mindset before i became a pastor ministry is for those guys on the platform that are always at church they always have their bible they're like ned flanders from the simpsons like that's who ministry is for i'm just a guy going to church I, I don't really have any responsibilities other than just to show up. I don't even have to bring my Bible. I'm going to stand up during the songs. I might sing a couple because it's got a catchy beat or whatever. But for the most part, I showed up. I heard the sermon. I only nodded off once or twice. I did my part. And so ministry is not something I do. Ministry is something they do. I want to kind of – there's a couple things today I want to just shatter. That's one of them. Number one, ministry is for all people. All of us have a ministry of some sort. We may not be cognizant of it. We might just think, oh, I'm just that, I'm just that person that you know, does this at the church, or I just, I'm just that person that makes phone calls when something goes wrong. That's a part of ministry, ministering to other people, giving to them stuff that they might need, whether it's encouragement, love, whatever it is that's before you in that moment. Ministry is something we all have the privilege to do. Now, you'll see it in various forms and degrees. Obviously, I'm standing up here and you're in the pew, so we're not all doing this part right now. And you'll see, you know, uh, Justin and Kristen in the back teaching the kids. Not everybody's doing that. But not everybody's vacuuming either. And not everybody's making sure that the, that the, the, the grounds of the church are kept up and that the sign is working and that uh, flyers are being printed up and that, um, you know, follow through is happening when someone. Uh, passes away or is in the hospital or is sick or something so everybody has a part to play this is why the this is one of the reasons why or one of the descriptions that paul gives us about the church is that we're like a body and everybody's a different body part some are hands some are feet some are ankles you know, some are shoulders but jesus is the head and he knits us all together to be one and so today there's no challenge to like go find something to do i, I think the lord's probably already led you in what to do I'm just calling you to realize that it's a glorious thing no matter what it is. If the Lord calls you and says, you know, you know, you vacuum, then you vacuuming will be a glorious thing. You go and be a missionary to Africa. I've never done that before. Most missionaries haven't, and God has done pretty well with them over the centuries. If that's what God's called you to do, then do it. Well, I think I'm called to be a, a pastor or a teacher or this or that, or I'm called to marry this person or to go to school or, or whatever it is. Confirm it with the Lord through prayer. Test the spirits, First John says, and then do that thing. And don't diminish it by, you know, it's not the, I'm not up on the platform, so my role is not as important. That's not true. That's like saying the CEO is the most important part of an organization. And the church is not a business like that. I'm just using it as an analogy. But, but you know it's not one person making that organization work. It's everybody putting their hands to the plow and working together. That's what makes the thing go. And church is, is, is like that in a different way. It, we all have this opportunity to kind of 
come together as pieces in a, pieces in a puzzle and reveal the big picture that is Jesus. No one person on this earth reveals Jesus entirely. Jesus is revealed when the church comes together and everybody makes up that like mosaic picture of who he is. So some people are very encouraging. Some people have uh, been blessed with wealth, so they give abundantly. And there's those who, who um, have the ability to speak into other people's lives or those who can teach and preach. And so it takes everybody doing all the things, not just one or two people trying to do all the things. And when you have that happen, that's when you see ministry really flourish. You go back to um, the book of Acts. The apostles, they were, they were overwhelmed by trying to be ready to preach and teach and serve the people who were in need. Now, if you were to ask me which one's more important, I'd probably go with the preaching of the gospel because that's how men are saved. But that's not to say that the feeding of the, and the serving of these widows and orphans was was you know, just the least of the two, and you can just set that aside. It's both of those have to, having to be done. So the apostles appointed these deacons to stand up and serve in their, it, it, not in their stead, but alongside them. And so are there more visual parts or more visible parts of the church? Absolutely. Are there guys who have multi, you know, site churches and write books and everything? Yeah, and then there's guys who are like me, and we end up being making up the majority of the church. We just pastor our small church as faithfully as we can, it might just be 50, 60, 70, or 100. It won't be a mega church by any means. We'll never write a book. We'll never you know, have a popular blog that everybody's clamoring over. But man, we just want to serve our church the best we can and be a part of the body of Christ as we've been called to be. One of the joys of introducing uh, Mike and Lucy this morning um, was, is remembering back to when we were first here you know, for the most part, and I don't want to diminish anybody who put who was helping at that point, but pastorally, we were the only ones here. And then Kristen and Justin came along, and then Ben and Jen came along, and Mike and Lucy came along, and other people started stepping up. And I've watched it just slowly grow, this little infrastructure that God's building up. It's growing and growing and growing. And I just rejoiced because it was really through no effort of my own part. Like, I didn't really – I didn't have this big plan or strategy. I see guys on, you know, grow your church in 50 steps or, you know, do these three things and your church will explode. And – and I've, I, you know, that, that's a great way to make money. I don't know if that's a great way to build a church. And so what I've just seen is this, just the Lord kind of saying, you know, I got this and I'll handle this and you just keep preaching the gospel. And that's what I've been trying to be faithful to do. Ministry is for all people. It's not only for an elect few. And we all get the opportunity to do that. Now, Paul says, I struggle. Some folks don't like that word because it, it implies that, that your own energy is going to be used. And the secret is... In ministry, you are going to use your own, uh, your own energy to a degree. But God's going to take that, and synergistically, it's going to become so much more than you could accomplish on your own. Paul says, I struggle, and he's willing to struggle. And ministry oftentimes is a struggle. Sometimes it's really good. You have a potluck, and everybody's eating, and the kids are having fun, and you're meeting new people. I mean, that's ministry. That's fun. Someone's sick, so you bring them a, a thing of food, and you know you, you just walk away knowing that you did something for them that that uh, is good, and nobody even knows about it. So it's just between you and Jesus, and it's a really nice thing, it's a really glorious thing. But then there's times where you get the phone call, you know, we're divorcing. The prognosis or the diagnosis was cancer. You know, I, I'm I'm done with this ministry and what you've been teaching because underlying it challenges me to do something I don't want to do, but I'm going to put something over it. That sounds like it's your fault, not mine. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep making these decisions 
even though I know it's the path to hell, when God has a path for me that goes towards him, I'm just going to keep making this decision. And you keep telling, just, no, you don't want to do that. I, I, we can all see where it ends up, and, and, and you just have to sit back, and it's a struggle. You become invested in people's lives, and it's not about, oh, they're wrong and blah, blah, blah. It's, 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 it's man, that's my family. And I've been telling them, turn the wheel. You're going to go off the cliff, and they don't want to listen. It's like, oh, the struggle. But when now conversely, when someone gives their life to the Lord, when they make that decision, when they say, you know what, everything in my flesh wants to go this way, but I know God wants me to go this way, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go this direction, put my head down, I'm gonna do it. Man, it's like the Super Bowl going to Disney World with an ice cream sundae, and it's like the perfect weather. It's just it's all of these perceived joys, but so much more than that. To see someone give their life to the Lord, whether it's through dedication initially or rededication. To know that that in spite of my feelings, I'm going to go this way. It's a glorious thing. So we're willing to struggle because we know the, the potential that is there. It's not just, it is that we've been called and we're going to do it because we've been called. But we know there's a great joy when God does something in somebody's life. When when you see something miraculous happen like, like oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve my family well. I'm going to become the, the dad or the husband God wants me to be or the mom or the, or the wife that God wants me to be. It's an amazing thing that, that really there's few things on earth that rival that joy for someone who's in ministry. Paul says, I struggle. I struggle. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. One of the hardest things about my life, and it's, I say that very loosely, is I have family here and I have family in California. And it's always like when I was in California, it seemed like over here was just unraveling like an old sweater. And then we come here and it seems like everybody in California, it, it's the same thing. It just Now everybody over there has a fire that we have to put out. And it's like, well, I go over there. Like well, Now the fire's out over there. And so at some point you have to say, well, where are you calling me to, Lord? And honestly, it's on fire in both spots. So you know, come here, dedicate yourself here. This is where you've called us to. And I'll struggle here, but there are people that we minister to that we never see. Some of you guys text and call and email and Facebook people that you, you don't see in everyday life, but yet you still minister to them, you still love them, you still struggle over them. Paul said in the previous chapter that it's through the power of Jesus that we do this, but it's not an exclusive only Jesus' power without you doing anything. It's, it's both and. And so part of ministry is just being willing to be vulnerable in that way before folks that may not appreciate it initially or even understand it. Verse 2 says uh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. As a church, we I, I don't know what your perception about church is. When I read the Bible and I read about church, what I see is this body or this group that is knit together, and that's the words that Paul uses, more than just a, a cordial gathering of folks on Sunday. Now, for the most part, I look around the room, we're going to leave here today, and we may not see each other again until next Sunday. You could come on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for our Bible study, just throwing that out there. But we probably, and sometimes it's because we live far away from one another, and that's okay. But if we're just going to be a group of people who cordially know each other, we're just kind of acquaintances, then we don't have any business calling ourselves a church, do we? 
Because when you read the book of Acts and when you read about the early church, these people were invested. Paul's writing this letter. He's not just mentioning the Colossians. He's mentioning the people in Laodicea. It's, it's all the people. It's all the church. And so we don't have to go everywhere. We just have to be invested here. And so the, the big idea is that it's more than just knowing each other. It's more than just having a cup of coffee, but it's, it's being willing to be vulnerable. You know, look around the church. Who's not here today, and what are we going to do about that? I know some folks that are missing. I'm going to do my best to call them this week to see what's going on. Everything okay? You know, did you fall off the face of the earth? You know, are you in prison? Like, where are you? And I'll find out usually, excuse me, I'll usually find out something bad has happened. Lost a job. Someone's sick. It's not enough money. Maybe not even enough gas money to get to church. You find out, and then you become invested in that person's life. Hey, can I, can I take you to get some coffee, or can I take you to breakfast? Can we just go hang out. Let's just talk. And they're going to say no, and they're going to fight you on it. But you're not going to stop. You're going to keep going after them. Because the idea of being knit together is that they simply cannot just be separated from you because, like the sweater I mentioned earlier, you're knit together. Now, this, this idea this of being knit together in the Greek, it's, it's a being of one mind, so we can differ on a lot of things. How, how we're going to spend our afternoon is probably going to be different for everybody. Some of you are going to get lunch. Where you even go for lunch is going to be different. I mean, that's, that's okay. That type of diversity in our church is not just okay. It's a celebrated thing. Wow, you're going to Flo's. I'm going to the Raider. I'm going here. I'm going there. You know, or, or maybe you're going to go hang out with family. Or maybe you're going to go to the park because it's finally not snowing and it's warm. Like it, it, the sun is shining and there's not snow on the ground. I mean, that's a rare thing where we live. It could be gone by the end of the week. But all of our time and our talents and our treasures are things that we are to be investing in the church. They're the, they're the thing, the Holy Spirit is the glue that holds us together, that makes us the body, and then we all use those things for our own benefit and for the benefit of the church. You know, if you're really good at swinging a hammer or you're really good at crunching numbers or you're really good at corralling kids or teaching the Bible or whatever your gift or calling is, it's best served being a part of the church and, and, and finding your place in that church, being willing to be flexible in case maybe, maybe your calling and what's available isn't exactly the same at this moment. You know, there are times where, yes, this is your calling, but it's not time yet for you to do that. But David was anointed king years before he ever actually became the king of Israel. So there are times where you know the calling, you know that anointing you have or that, that blessing God has given you to do that thing, but it doesn't mean that the timing is correct. You know, Jesus was the son of God at birth, but didn't die for, his, for the sins of the world until he was about 33 years old. So there's timing in all of this as well. This love that binds us together, Paul says, or that knits us together, is agape love. And this is where the church should look different than the rest of every, every other organization. Agape literally means love feast, which sounds really hippie-ish, and I don't really care for it that much. But that being said, that's literally what it means, and maybe you're a hippie and you like it a lot. That's great. My point is this. It's this overabundant outflowing of love to another person, the only reason being that you want to pour out this love for them. They have not merited it. They have not earned it. They may have even done something contrary to that. But, you know, somebody comes into the church and I just want to love that person, serve them, pour out whatever love God's given me to them, and I don't even know who they are. I mean, not in a creepy way, 
Like, this is not what we're talking about. Like, you're just staring at him from across the room. God wants me to serve you. Like, okay, I'm going to go to the other church. No, but, but say, you know what? I want to get to know them. I've joked before about, you know, I'm not a big fan of hugging. I've gotten a lot better. I actually don't mind hugging as much as I used to. But that was me saying, Lord, I know these people want to hug. What do I do? Just help me as I go in for the hug. Help it to not be the one that just lasts like 15 seconds. I just quick bro hug and then we're gone. That's that's good. Um, and so I've just kind of trusted the Lord in that. And for you, it might be this the uh, same thing, just indifferent. Like what? How do I talk to that person? They, you know, they're not like me. They're not from the same place I am from. They don't like the same things I like. I find that even those questions, when you are willing to do that thing, God does something. God gives you opportunity. Sometimes it's awkward. And I'm like, I, I, I like celebrate my awkwardness. But sometimes you go in, and you're like, hey, you know, uh, can I get you a cup of tea? And they're like, no. They're like, ah, oh, shot down. But you know, I'm gonna go back and regroup. Well, want some coffee? No, I'm just not. I'll figure it out next week. The willingness to minister, to love, because you are being knit together with that person. You're pouring out love. And is that a vulnerable place? Yeah, because rejection's a thing. And somebody's going to take that love and potentially abuse it or neglect it. That's going to be devastating. But see, now you're learning. You're you are truly suffering as Christ suffered. Doesn't He pour out to us, and we don't receive or acknowledge or or reciprocate that love back to Him so often? We we just appreciate it or take it, and we don't take time to even acknowledge what He's done for us. I mean, this agape love was not our invention; it was His. And he has poured out upon us in a way that we never could. And so often his people don't even acknowledge him. Don't even, don't even remember him. Don't even come, into, come to him in thanksgiving and just say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And so I, I, I want you to become cognizant people looking for opportunities to thank the Lord throughout the day. You know, your, your, your kid comes up to you and just hugs you. Oh, man, Lord, you, you made this happen. I, you gave me a child that just loves me. And then they might go draw on the wall. But in that moment, it's perfect. And just thank the Lord. Oh, Lord, um, this this food, this dinner my wife, husband, spouse, whatever made for me, it's just delicious. What a great blessing they are in my life. Where would I be without them? Just take a moment. Just say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. The, the, this, And then find a way to pour out love on them. You know, look for those ways that they feel loved. If you've ever heard of the book, The Five Love Languages, it's a pretty revealing book if you want to read it about how your wife or, or, or husband or even children receive love. You know, some folks really like gifts and, 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 and some people really like words of affirmation. You try to give gifts to somebody who loves words of affirmation. It's not really as, it's not, that it's not appreciated. It's just like, okay. But when you tell them, hey, good job just fills them up. You learn what it's you learn what uh really what lights their heart on fire and you just do that. Now I want to take this opportunity because there's a really popular teaching in the church that has no biblical roots or founding. And so whenever we come across that, I like to kind of expose it. And you guys are all adults and you guys all have your own walk with Jesus, so take it in prayer. Um I'll do my best to present it as truthfully as I possibly can. But this teaching is something called soul ties. The understanding of the teaching is this, that 
that at some point you'll become knit together with somebody. Generally, it's usually through uh, sex, intercourse, something like that, a relationship of some sort. Um, and you are now like, – like Velcro, you're now stuck to that person spiritually. And the quotation or the, or the verse that's thrown out is one like this about us being knit together. The, most, uh, the one that's usually most prevalent is the story of Jonathan and David. They had a, a pretty awesome friendship, and the Bible says that they were their souls were knit together. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a really good friend, but having a really good friend is a good thing, isn't it? When you have that best friend, you can call up and say, hey, I'm stuck in a ditch in the middle of Nova Scotia. Can you come pull me out? And they're like, I'll be there as quick as I can. Or you, you for, from your side, they call you and say, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do. My, my wife wants to leave. Let me come over there and talk to you guys. And you just sit there till 3 in the morning talking to them and just doing your best to serve and to love them. Having a good friend like that is a, a, something to be cherished, to be loved, and, and to, to, to use to honor Jesus. To thank the Lord to have a friendship with just, just one of the 7 billion people on this planet. To be able to have a friend that's more than just somebody that you know. You share some similar interests. You have the same goofy sense of humor. You know, you, you, you believe passionately about the same things. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And when the Bible talks about David and Jonathan, this is what we're talking about. Jonathan was willing to die for David and vice versa. It wasn't that Jonathan was his slave or forced to do that. They were friends. Jonathan was willing to, you know, Jonathan was the, the next person to be king. I mean, his father was Saul, so him being Jonathan, he should have been the next king in the procession, right? I mean, but he knew the anointing that David had to be king. So you never hear anything in the Bible about Jonathan saying, you know, and he hated David because he took his, you know, he took his position or place. Jonathan just loved his friend. Jonathan knew what God wanted for his friend and never said, hey, I need to be there, not you. I have right to that. You don't. When the Bible talks about being knit together, this is what the Bible's talking about. The Bible does not talk about if you have sex with a guy or a girl, no matter what your sex is, that somehow now uh, the blood of Jesus is not strong enough to change that or to sever that. Because what you might have is a physical tie, and there are certainly, let me get to the other side of this, there are certainly people who have unhealthy physical relationships, they become obsessed with, they, 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 they stalk, and they become unhealthily obsessed with that person, but that's a physical thing. It's not a spiritual thing. Jesus said, and the Bible declares that you know, when, when two people come together, two flesh become one, but that's the flesh, that's not the spirit. That, that spirits are not given in marriage, and my understanding of the Bible is that when we go to heaven, our, our, our marriage will be complete. And we will just be servants of Christ, and I'm sure we'll know that we were married, but that bond is now complete in Jesus, and our spirits aren't united in that way. Our, our spirits are united to Christ. One of the reasons, another reason why soul ties are not a biblical concept is because once the Holy Spirit comes in, he's like that guy that comes in and just says, everything out! He's like the bouncer of, your, of you and just says, everybody out! You know, this demon, this thing, this obsession, and then you start recognizing sin in your life. And so these people still might have some type of obsession with you, but whatever, anything that you had prior to salvation has now been severed. It's like it's been cut. 
And so the idea usually becomes that of a scapegoat. The soul ties becomes a scapegoat. Oh, you're not pros this all comes from prosperity theology, by the way. Oh, you're not living a prosperous life? Well, you must have a soul tie. Oh, you're not getting over this thing? Well, you must have a soul tie. Have you ever done this or that with this person? Yeah, I have. Because I'm human and I sin. Oh, and that's what it is. Jesus' blood is strong enough to reconcile you to him and to end that enmity that you guys had, but it's not strong enough to sever that unless you declare this or do this or do that. You don't find that prescribed in the Bible anywhere. You don't find uh, the phrase soul ties or you find knit together, but it's always in the positive sense like we find here. And so if you want to discuss this or talk about this after church or some other time, I'd be glad to. Um, it's not my opinion versus your opinion. is what does the Bible say? And, I, and I'm willing to let the word speak for itself. Now, it's not about what I can add to it or take away from it. It's what the Bible says. So take that. Take it in prayer. Paul says in verse 2 and verse 3 that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Another popular teaching is that somehow God is mysterious and only a select few find them because he's so hidden. Now the Bible does talk about the, the path being narrow and few find it, but not because it's hidden. Not because God put, you know, covered his tracks and doesn't want you to find it, but because so, pe so many people in their sin just refuse to follow it. So it's hidden from them because the sin is blocking their view. And Paul says, and says elsewhere as well in the gospel, that this mystery that is being revealed to us is Jesus himself. Not a form of, or a variation of Jesus, but Jesus himself is the mystery being revealed to us, and part of that revelation comes through the church being the church. When we're knit together with this agape love, this, this love that is different than the rest of the world, well, we're seeing more of Jesus through that. We're knowing more about his nature and who he is through that than a Bible study or, or some book written about it. When you love and you serve somebody, you know more about Jesus than you know any book you could probably find. If you just come and say, you know, I want to, I want to serve this person, you'll start to see what it was like for Jesus to come and to serve us, and you'll start to have that, those moments of clarity. Not to make it sound so, so weird, but those moments you're like, oh, I guess maybe revelation's a better word. Oh, this is what it's like between me and Jesus. This is like between Jesus and His church. This is what it was like for God to send his only begotten son to die for me and for us, the church. That, that we wouldn't be condemned to hell forever, that we'd have everlasting life. And Pastor Mike alluded to, uh, our, or not alluded to, he said point blank that our salvation is secure in Christ. If we could lose our salvation, we'd have done it already. You know, if, we, if, we could, if our salvation was up to us, we'd be damned forever. And so we rest in the assurance that Jesus holds our salvation we don't hold our salvation. That we can repent at any given moment of any sin that we might fall into or even, or even willfully choose when we have that gift of repentance to, to turn away and to seek forgiveness. It's not, it's not reliant upon you. It's reliant upon him. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible Arguments and the New Living Translation says it like this I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well crafted arguments. 
you go on you go on the Facebook and Twitter and you see all these things and they're well crafted arguments against Christianity. They're not arguing against Islam, they're not arguing against Buddha, they're not arguing against Mormonism, they're not arguing against Jehovah Witnessism, they're arguing against Jesus. They're ultimately not even they may be arguing against Christianity, but they're really arguing against Christ. And they're the thought is that I'm in their place. I am the first person in thousands of years to finally figure out this trick that Jesus is. Yeah, that sounds silly, right? Like nobody's thought of that before. Most arguments you come against today about Jesus are the same arguments that existed then. Paul is writing about it in this moment, and we're facing the same exact thing because the arguments haven't changed. The question is, is he really God? That's really the only question. And we, through faith, say yes. We believe that Jesus is God. He's not just a demigod or an archangel. He's not Satan's brother. We don't believe any of that. We believe that he's the Son of God, risen. He is resurrected from the dead. He's conquered sin and death. He was born of a virgin. Hell is real. Heaven is real. That the Holy Spirit is sent by him to fill us. That he'll return to pick up his church one day. We'll go to be with him and rule and reign for all of eternity. We believe that based on what the word of God has said. Well, I don't, and ultimately all the, all the plausible arguments are, I don't want to believe that. Well, the word says you're a sinner. Well, I don't want to believe that. Well, your actions say something contrary. You can tell me you're not a sinner, but I can see the sin you've committed. And God would rather save you from that sin than punish you for that sin. And for me, and for most Christians, that's a good deal, right? That God would love us in spite of the right to destroy us. He would rather save us. This is why we sometimes see those Christians that are so in love with Jesus. You look at somebody like Mary Magdalene. She loved Jesus, right? Why? Because her sins were great. That's what the word says. She was so full of sin and her life was so destroyed and everything about her was wrong but yet she found forgiveness in Jesus and that changed her life and so her devotion to him is really unparalleled in the gospels you know she's sitting there crying at Jesus' feet wiping his feet with her hair nobody else is doing that she's got this expensive jar of, of perfume she breaks and pours over Jesus to prepare him for his burial Jesus says you don't see that from anybody else. You see Judas saying, well, you could have sold that and fed the poor. You know, the guy who's stealing and skimming off the top is trying to preach an economics lesson. And so when you realize your sin, it's not to just drive you, you know, into your grave. See, you sinner. It's so that you walk away and go, man, Jesus really loves me. He was willing to take that punishment for me. Paul says, don't be deceived because people are teaching the opposite of this. They're preaching that, you know, you need to be circumcised. They're preaching that you have to celebrate the Sabbath and the new moons and the festivals and, and, and basically become a Jew before you come, become a Christian. They're going to come with well, they're going to come with plausible arguments. People often ask me, well, how did so-and-so church, how did they fall? What happened? Didn't they know that that teaching or whatever wasn't biblical? No, because it started off with a slight variation. It was a straight line that just got slowly bent over time. And so now from the beginning to the end, yeah, they look completely different. 
But from moment to moment, there's hardly even this noticeable moving. And usually because people come in and say, oh, I love Jesus, but have you heard about this? People are like, oh, that's intriguing and tickles my ears. Tell me more about it. And the next thing you know, everybody's got to get circumcised, and I'm not going to that church. And that that is how these small deviations become big deviations. Well, Pastor Tony, why are you always picking on the prosperity gospel? Because small deviations from the word end up being big deviations from the gospel, where you end up with no gospel at all. And I don't throw people under the bus, and I, I, I try not to name names if I can avoid it. But I'll teach you the teaching, and I'll show you the straight line, and I'll show you the crooked line so you can see which one is truly straight. Because the warning is that be careful, don't be deceived. Why? Because we have that potential. But we're Christians. Yeah, but we're fleshy Christians. And we can be deceived. And a guy comes in with a book and a blog and a DVD series, and we just eat up everything he says. Oh, nobody would put it up there if it wasn't true. No, they absolutely would put it up there because it makes money. I read this book, and it's called The Secret. Well, yeah, because that tickles people's ears. And you sell 5 million books at 8 bucks a pop. That's a lot of money. So sure, I'll sell my soul for that. Not me. That's their thinking. But isn't there some type of, isn't there some type of group or guild that just filters all the stuff? No. Some guy goes on TV, you just give your love offering, and I'll send you a free book. And then you know what? His book's the bestseller because he keeps giving it away. It's all a trick. It's all a way to just skew everything. Is, is everybody like that? No, not everybody's like that. But some people are. And if we're not careful, we will fall prey to these plausible arguments. These, these, these well-crafted criticisms or well-crafted uh, objections. And so how do we combat that? We just go back to the Word. It's not that hard. The Word is the mystery revealed. Jesus is that mystery revealed through the Word. And so you just read your Bible. Okay, soul ties? Go to the Bible? There's nothing about soul ties. Hmm, someone's wrong. That guy or the Bible? I'm going to go with the Bible not being wrong. I encourage folks, because I am not infallible. The Word of God is, is perfect. It's awesome. It's amazing. I am not. Pastor Tony, I disagree with you on this. Okay, let's talk about it. I'm not hurt. I'm not, you know, you haven't challenged my authority or anything like that. All the authority here is Jesus, so... You know, what do you want to talk about? Well, I think this is true. Well, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, and, and in that is ministry, and in that is life together and all that. Paul talks to Timothy a lot about this. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars who con whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Paul says to Timothy, look, there's these guys that are going to come around. They're going to say you need to be a Christian and a vegetarian. You need to be a Christian, and on the Sabbath, you can't uh, travel X amount of miles, and you can't light a fire, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And if you do those things, your salvation now is in question. He says that this is the um, teaching 
of deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Paul and the Word of God do not mince words. I am a lot more polite than the Word of God is. My, I seek to have peace and all that, but at some point you got to call a duck a duck and say that's what it is. And that that's the teaching that is deceitful, it's demonic, and if you go that way, that's what you end up with. The purpose of that teaching is simply to take your eyes off of Christ and to put the eyes back on you or someone or someone else. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days, and just for reference, we're in the latter days, we're in the last days. The days that Paul is talking about is right now. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Are we in times of difficulty? I think if one of your potential candidates is Donald Trump for president, you live in difficult times. Just throwing that out there. Or Hillary, or John, or Ted, all of them. I'll throw them all under the bus so I'm not supporting any one person. For people will be lovers of self, or selfies, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, wet, reckless, swollen with conceit. I don't even know what that means. Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Paul says, avoid such people. He doesn't say becomes friends with them, work with them, avoid these people. Now, can you reach out to them? Yes. Can you try to point out their folly? Yes, probably not going to get very far, but can you do those things? Yes. The idea is that you are not teaming up with them. You see sports players all the time, you know, football, baseball, after and before the game, they're shaking hands and stuff like that. But during the game, no, they're, they're not friends anymore. So you might have a co-worker. I believe Jesus was brothers with Satan, and God just liked his plan better. Okay, we're not going to be doing church together unless something changes, because that's contrary to the Word of God. Well, I like that theory better because it just makes following Jesus that much simpler. He's no longer God. He's just a guy who has a really good teaching. And there's no requirement on my end to do anything. And that just sounds a lot better because I like sleeping in on Sundays and I don't want to be invested in other people's lives. And they don't say that. They say it in a different manner, in a different form. But in the last days, there will be people who are lovers of self and lovers of money and deceitful. And man, we, we just unholy and heartless and unappeasable and slanderous and reckless. Now that's the days we live in. Paul says in verse 6, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Let me stop right there, because some of you with sort of a feminist vein in you just heard that and want to punch me in the face. The idea here is not that women are weak. The idea here is actually the other side of the coin of why we're supposed to help widows. Because there are people out there that go after these ladies intentionally to take from them and to take advantage of them. How many of you over the last couple of weeks on the news saw something about, oh, people calling up, uh, reportedly being from the IRS, and I, you've got to pay this right away, and I need your social security number, and I need your bank account, blah, 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 
and they're not catching people who are strong and have seen some stuff and realize this is bogus. They're going after the folks who are scared by their tone and scared that they're going to somehow get the IRS on their back and, oh, sure, I'll give you anything that you want. Because there are men out there that do that. And I wish it was only folks for that reason, but there are ministries that do that same thing. There are ministries entirely funded by women who have been influenced by charlatans to give a gift, to sow a seed, to do this so that they could feel that God loves them or approves of them. And it's despicable. And these, this is not what God has called these people to be. If you're a more seasoned lady here at the chapel, you are called to pray for the chapel, to 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 do things that other people simply cannot do, to be protected by the church, not taken advantage of. And so Paul says there are men out there that have gone out seeking these women intentionally. They're predators. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at, no at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres uh, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. God is really good at exposing these plausible arguments, whether it's slight deviations or whether it's just totally contrary to the word of God. God only allows it to go so far. And I only say it that way because I don't know how else to say it. At some point, the, the wick on the bomb, the fuse on the bomb finally gets to its end and it just explodes and people are exposed. And even ministries you think were good ministries. I read about a pastor this week. I thought he was a good pastor. Find out he got fired by his church. Why? Because of inappropriate conduct and things like that. Like, ah, oh, geez, like it only goes on for so long before God exposes it. If a if a if a a woman who is allowing herself to be deceived by these type of men because of the feeling of importance it gives them or the identity that it gives them. God will expose that at some point. If someone's taking advantage of you, God will expose that at some point. You can tell the police. You can go to the authorities. You can do whatever you got to do. You can get a lawyer. There's nothing against doing those things. If someone's taking advantage of you and you're unsure of what to do, God will expose that eventually. I don't know how eventual, but he will. This is why the church is so important. This is why we need each other in this way. I've had folks come to me, well, I got this letter. This letter's bogus. They're trying to take money from you. It looks so official. Yeah, that's how they get you. Oh, you know, I, I, I want to help. I want to give money to this person, but I, you know, that person is, is running a scheme. They know how to take advantage of you, and you help those people. I mean, you help the ones being taken advantage of. And you, and you make sure that the wolves in sheep's clothing get exposed at some point if you can. And if you can't, then you just keep praying, Lord, who's a wolves in sheep's clothing? And can you expose them, please, so that we don't allow them to come in and, and, and you know be a part of the flock? So how do we respond? Now, there's a lot of things here. Number one, you got to read your Bible. I'm as guilty as anybody. There are days I traveled these last couple of days, and I didn't open my Bible yesterday or the day before. My fault. Had plenty of opportunity to do it. Didn't do it. That's me being transparent. You can judge me all you want. Don't care. Is that good though? No. No, because daily reading of the word changes you, not just physically in your mind, but supernaturally. To know the will of God, to be 
to be different than you were. To see the church no longer as a burden, but as an opportunity to do something. To do work that will last beyond your years. Some of you are doing stuff in this church that will outlive you. That these kids over here will benefit from. And they may not even know it, but one day they'll stand on top of that and they'll, they'll, they'll establish a, a, a newness and then that, that people will grow from that. I've talked to people like Marie and Mark and things about the, the church and how it's grown. Now all we know is what it looks like now, right? But for those who have been here for 40 years, it looks dramatically different because of the work that people did before us who put their hands to the plow, who ministered, who gave of themselves because the greater good was the church being uh, expanded to keep meeting the needs of the people. And so is that a struggle? Yeah, it's a struggle. But it's a worthy struggle. So what do we do? We pray. Read the word, we pray. You come to church, you get to know people, you find folks that you wouldn't actually you know, gravitate towards naturally, and you strike up a conversation. And they might not like you. And as a church, we can have, I mean, do you guys have family members you don't like? I mean, you don't say that to them, for goodness sakes. But when they come around Thanksgiving, like you make sure the Xanax is handy. Just just my family. Okay. And I mean my California family, of course. <laughs> Nobody here in New York. Um, <laughs> they're not at church today, if, if, that, if that helps you. Um, but my point is this. It doesn't make them any less family, right? They're still family. They're still the, still the weirdo uncle that just comes around when you need something. But they're still family. And so how can you serve? How can you love? And you know what happens after that? You get to know people and you realize, oh, they're not the weirdo uncle. They're just a really cool person. I just didn't know that well. And so you get to know them and you serve with them and you love them and they love you and, and the church continues to grow. And honestly, if the world needed anything right now, it's a church or a group or a ministry where people just love each other because Jesus loved them first. There's no agenda. You know, it'd be a really weird thing for me to have an agenda to love you because I want the church to grow. That's not a bad thing, but it's sort of misleading, right? My end all of loving you is that more people might come in because I want to have a big church. That doesn't make any sense. I don't see God honoring that. So I scrape it back to the beginning. I just love these people because this is where God has placed me. And you love these people because this is where God has placed you. And when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school, when you do this, when you do that, Man, you've been put in that place. How can I love these people? How can I show them Jesus? So the first thing we'll do is we'll pray. We'll read our words so we know more about Jesus. And when people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. And you're like, oh, yeah, where? And they're like, I don't know. I saw it on Huffington Post, so I assumed it was true. Well, let's talk about it. Do you have? Let me give you some examples of where I think the Bible contradicts itself. Oh, what? Are you, what? You're a Christian. You shouldn't say that. No, there's things that... We don't entirely understand. They seem to be contradictory, but they're not. They're complementary. Oh, okay. Well, the Bible, you know, says women are, you know, less than man. No, that's not really what the word says. Well, I've never actually read it. Yeah, I know. You you heard that from probably Huffington Post again. They might, they might kick them all day long. Let's talk about it. Usually what you find is just folks who just don't want to submit. And we know that, right? I mean, I'm not, I, I know that what that's like. I don't want to submit either. Jesus, I just want to go do this. Well, I want you to do this. Oh, I got to submit. Okay. I understand that. Sometimes you find people who are hurt. The church hurt me. 
the youth pastor who's married hit on me. Tried to get me to have sex with him, but he was married and he was my youth leader, and I was 14. If you think that doesn't happen, you're being very naive. It, it happens. And so they won't step foot in a church anymore because all they know about church is that. So you getting them to church is going to be a lot harder than just getting them to Dunkin' Donuts, right? Yeah, what was that like? You know, what, where's this guy now? What? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how Jesus doesn't allow guys to do that. Let me tell you how Jesus loves you more than than this. And let me even maybe even get to a place where if you become a Christian, you can find forgiveness for that guy. Because he obviously had some things going on that were really wrong in his life. So we pray, we read the word, we come to church. Christianity is actually quite simple. I mean, it's hard, but the rules that we are called to, the laws that we are called to follow are to love God and to love people, to honor and revere the word, to pray, to seek God, and to ask and to knock, and to hold up Jesus that other people may be drawn unto him. That's our goal. So church, the, we are slowly being knit together. Have you ever seen somebody crochet? You, know, you don't see it right away, right? Anybody here can crochet? I'm not convinced that that's not a superpower. Crocheting, Sylvia, yes, you ha you are like one of the X-Men because you can sew, you can you can you can do crocheting. And, and my mom, I, I I bought Sarah some stuff once. She was gonna learn. It. I thought, well, I'll learn it with you. It's not, it looks like fun. And I remember my mom crocheting as a kid. I'm like it must be pretty easy. My mom could do it. Only time I've ever said that. Last time I'll ever say that. And so I'm like, what? It's all like I, I'm watching all these YouTube videos, and here I'm almost 30 years old. I'm like, Mom, can you come teach me how to crochet? I don't know if she ever expected me to say that to her. She comes over. Well, I haven't crocheted in like 25 years. Well, I can't even do it. So what? And my mom's got arthritis, so her hands are kind of always like this uh, from cooking and things like that over the years. I'm like, okay. And she pulled out the the what is it? The crochet thingy, whatever it's called, knitting needle. <laughs> what? Who are you? I don't know what. And you just saw this thing come together really fast. And you saw it all knit together and it was sturdy. And it was, you know, she was like, oh, I'm a little rusty. Shh. Little rusty. But when you knit together, you know, a big thing, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's worth a lot of money. It's beautiful. And, and that's the verbiage that Paul uses about us as a church being knit together. We're intricately woven together, so that's not just about you know when we when somebody leaves, we feel it. <sighs> they left. That hurts. I don't like that. I'm gonna go after them. And so, church, be cognizant of this. I guess that's really the challenge today. You can stand. We're gonna pray. No big altar appeal or anything like that. I mean, if you need Jesus, you give your life to Jesus now. Um, if you're hurting, you pray now. If you need us to pray for you, you come up, we pray for you. Love to do that. No judgment, no nothing. You need prayer, we pray. But ultimately, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we have not just come to church, we've come to the body of Christ, and that's what God's called us to. So let's pray. Jesus, I can't think of any greater force on this planet. Your word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And so... It's not about the gates of hell being fought by one particular person 
by one pastor or even just one ministry, but the church collective coming against those gates will tear down those gates. That the gates of hell will not prevail. That we will be victorious. But Father, before we can even get to there, we've got a lot of things that need to be fixed. We need to be united in the gospel of truth and the gloriousness that is your son Jesus. We need some truths that need to be uh, corrected, or not corrected, we have some untruths that need to be replaced by truth. We need to call out some things that are venomous. We need to call out some things that are false and untrue. And we need to grasp the truth that is your gospel. I praise you, Lord, because I'm not, I don't have all the answers. I praise you because you do. And I pray that in humility that we would come together as a family to seek you. And we might be different. We might have you know, different ways to do things, but the truth is the same. So we love you, Lord. I am praying for this miracle that takes nothing less than your Holy Spirit to accomplish. We praise you for you because you're just so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.